Good morning, Chesh. We are looking at the book of Ezra, and I, uh, I have the privilege to share to us from Ezra chapter two. Okay. So uh, those of you that were here last week, uh, Andrew gave a really fantastic introduction to the book of Ezra. He spoke about how the children of Israel ended up in Babylon and about how God had a plan to return them back to Jerusalem from their captivity. He spoke, he spoke also about how God caused King Cyrus to change his mind and want to build a, a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. Additionally, he spoke about how the history books link, uh, how history links the books of Jeremiah Nehemiah and Ezra. So today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter two of the of the book of Ezra, which gives us a very long, long list of uh, the names of captive captives that returned to Jerusalem. This is probably one of the books that you would not uh, consider as a passage that you do uh, this chapter you'll not consider as a passage that you do your devotion in. But I would like to tell you that if I was uh, to pick something that I wanted to preach on, I wasn't going to pick this up. But as we know that God has always got a plan. He says in Isaiah 55, verse eight says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways are my ways. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud, bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it, it shall prosper for which I sent it. So God has a purpose when he puts his scripture in, in his word. So this passage is there to teach us what the importance of the people that returned to Jerusalem was. It gives us the numbers. It gives us uh, their duties that they did when they, they came back. Uh, Matthew also starts with the genealogy and it tells us about the, the genealogy to the birth of Jesus. It also gives us the names of uh, women. Women were not, were not considered as important uh, when we looked in, in, into the scriptures in the past. But Matthew gives us that account to show that the genealogies are really important in the face of God. They, they prove to us that God uses people that exist. And they, when we follow those genealogies, we see that the people that we're talking about did exist and they were part of families and God loves the family. He uses the family for his glory. He uses his family to reach out to the people. So this list confirm the physical existence of the characters in the Bible. 
And also do remember that the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is, is given by inspiration for God, from God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. This tells us really that this passage is really important in teaching us about who returned to Jerusalem and what capacity they returned to Jerusalem in. The golden thread that we have in this passage is that the children of Israel returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the church. This was in preparation for what we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks, the restore of worship in Jerusalem. And today we are living in a time where we need that restoration in our nation. We're living in a time where we see things are going pear-shaped. I, I, I was really uh, encouraged by what Mark shared. It shows that we have taken God out of the center of everything. We have taken him off the center stage and we've put him sideways. Uh, one to one side, and instead we are now focusing on ourselves. We are now focusing on how well we do worship. We're focusing on how well we can preach the word. But it is not, it is not about that. The main purpose that we get together as a, as a church, as children of God, is so that we worship him, is so that we put him in the forefront, so that he is around it all, and he surrounds it. So what is the significance of this return to Jerusalem? Well, my message is entitled, Welcome Home. For someone to return home or to, to be told, welcome home, it means that person has been away from home from one reason or another. For the children of Israel, it was because of their sin. They had sinned and they had strayed away from, from God's ways. And as a result, God took them and allowed them to be taken into captivity. But it, while they were in captivity, God still had his heart on them. God was still compassionate and, and loving towards them. I am reminded, as I'm talking about this, I am reminded of the, of the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. He asked his father to give him a portion of his inheritance. His father was still alive, but he asked for him to give his, his portion of his inheritance. That means he, he had killed his father really in his heart because you get an inheritance from someone who's passed away. You don't get an inheritance from someone that is still alive. So for this son, he had killed his father. The father had no option, but he had to give the son what he asked. And he took that inheritance and went away and squandered it with sinful living. He wasted it on, on things that are useless, such that he ended up suffering. He ended up with nothing, feeding pigs and eating with the pigs. 
The Bible tells us, Luke 15, 17 to 20, says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread to eat enough, have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, he, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the Bible tells us that the father saw him from afar and he had compassion on him. And we are told he ran to meet him and he kissed him. This was a sign of love, a sign of compassion, or I just say love, but it was a sign of unconditional love. That despite what the, the son had done when he went off, the father had compassion, he ran. He was a Jewish man, and it was unheard of for, for Jewish men, men of his stage, status to be seen running that was really undermining but for him to lift up his robe and run that meant he was degrading himself to the lowest level does this sound familiar it does sound familiar to me when Jesus died on the cross that was a sign. The Bible tells us he, he died to the lowest of death, even death on the cross. So that was him taking the lowest position ever that anyone can ever take. So the father shows the compassion. He shows the heart that he has for his people. And he, he runs to meet him. This is a free gift of salvation. Though we are a sinful people, we are a sinful generation, God is still merciful. He is merciful to us as he was in merciful to the children of Israel in their captivity in Babylon. As the prodigal son's father saw him from afar and ran to meet him, so does God see the children of Israel. Jeremiah 29.10 tells us, for thus says the Lord, after the 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word, my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So the time has now come for the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. The names of those that return are written in the book of Ezra. They're also written in the book of Nehemiah. The names are as follows. 
<clears throat> Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispah, Bigvi, Rehum, and Barna. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the people of Parosh, 2,172. The people of Shephatiah, 372. The people of Arar, 775. The people of Pahath Moab, the people of Joshua and Joab, 2,812. The people of Elam, 1,254. The people of Zatu, 945. The people of Zakai, 760. The people of Bani, 642. The people of Babai, 623. The people of Asgad, 1,222. The people of Adonikam, 666. The people of Big Fry, 2,056. The people of Adin, 454. The people of Atta of Hezekiah, 98. The people of Bezai, 323. The people of Jorah, 112. The people of Hashem, 223. The people of Gibar, 95. The people of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Netapath, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. The people of Asmaveth, 42. The people of Kirjath, Arim, Shepherah, and Beeroth, 743. The people of Ramah and Gebar, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The people of Nebel, 52. The people of Magbish, 156. The people of the other Elam, 1,254. The people of Haran, 320. The people of Lod, Hadid and Ono, 725. The people of Jericho, 345. The people of Senar, 3,630. The priests, the son of Jediah, the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Emma, 1052, the sons of Pasha, 1247, the sons of Haram, 1017, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel, of the sons of Hodaviah, 74, the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. The Nethanim, the sons of Zihar, the sons of Hasifra, the sons of Tabalath, the sons of Keras, the sons of Siaha, the sons of Padan, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Riah, the sons of Rezin, the son of Nikah, the
the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Passer, the sons of Bestai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Mionim, the sons of Nephazim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Haha, the sons of Basloth, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkas, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamar, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkin, the sons of Giddel, the sons of Shepherdia, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pochereth and of Sebaim, the sons of and the sons of Army. All the Nethinim and the children of Solomon's servants were three hundred and ninety-two. And these were the ones who came up from Telmalah, Telharsha, Cherub, Adan, and Immer. But they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. The sons of Delaiah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakada, 652, and the sons of the priests, the sons of Habaiah, the sons of Koz, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, who was called by their name. These sought their, listen, their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found, therefore they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said that to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,720. Some of the heads of the fathers' houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethinim dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. Amen. That's a long list of names. And uh, if I was to read that, we were going to take all day. So thank you very much for doing that, Sue. The list gives us the numbers of those that returned to Jerusalem and to other towns in Judah where they had originally lived. So it gives us that they were listed by their tribes as well as their duties. So it tells us who the 
the priests were, who the Levites were, and who the other temple servants were. But it also tells us, it's uh, quite interesting that we, we, we are told, uh, I think it's verse 68, that there were people whose names could not be found. That means uh, there was a book that listed people according to their genealogies. So that book kept an account of who was who in the, in the tribe of Israel in the nation of Israel. So these genealogies are very important credentials to the Hebrew people. And if they could not prove, as it says in verse 68, that there were descendants of Abraham, that means they were excluded in some of the duties within the, the church. They couldn't do anything in the temple. They were considered as outsiders and they could not partake of, of the holy things in, in, in the temple. Only the descendants of Levi, who was Abraham's grandson, could serve in the temple. However, this is not the case for us today. It's not just the descendants of Levi that can, that can serve in the temple of God. Anyone can save, but for you to be able to do that, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We do need to be prepared for a time is coming where the books will be opened. And if your name is not on that list, that means you will be excluded from partaking from the kingdom of God. When we look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, uh, starting from verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael stand, shall stand up, and the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a trouble such as was never was such as such as never was since the nation there was a nation. Even to that time, and that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. So at that time, you your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake to some to some everlasting life, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are, who are wise shall shine like brightness of the firmament and those who turn to righteousness like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, shut up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel is telling us here that there will be a book that will be opened, but he is commanded to shut the book. So between that time and now, or, or the return of, of Christ, we need to ensure that we are walking right with Christ. We need to ensure that what we are doing is in line with what God calls us to do. 
So Revelation 20 also says, 20 verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to, to their works, by things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up, up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. So Keith preached about the fear of God a couple of weeks ago, and he, he showed us that God, our God is a loving God, but also that our God is a God that judges us. I'm not bringing this message to instill fear among us, but I'm bringing this message to encourage us to be in the right standing with God, to know the love of God, to know that our God is a God that loves us, is a God that sent his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our God is a God that loves us so much that he tells us that there is no fear in love. So if we dwell in, in his love, if we dwell in his presence and do his will, then we don't need to be afraid of anything. He tells us in 1 John 4, 17 and 18, says, love has, has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love, we love him because he loved us first. So this verse tells us that love the love that is, is being referred to here is our Lord Jesus Christ. That he has made us perfect by him dying on the cross. He took our place and he became sin for us so that we may live. So that our, our names may appear in that book so that we may partake in the things of the temple. We have been called to serve God and our service to him is through receiving Christ Jesus and accepting him into our hearts. The Bible tells us that we should call upon the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. And we can only be saved by accepting with our hearts, confessing with, believing with our hearts and confessing with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. So our God is a loving God, but he's also a God that judges his people. We have become a generation that values being politically correct. We, we think about what will people say if I do this? How will I, how will that, how will I be perceived if I say what I stand for? So we tend to, 
to stand for political correctness rather than for standing for the truth. We are called to love mercy. We are called to do justly and walk, walk humbly before the Lord. So are we doing that? Are we living a life that is pleasing to God? Micah 6, 6 to 8 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what the Lord does require of you. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God? So we are a people that are, that have sinned and there is nothing that we can do ourselves to atone for our sin. Jesus Christ is the only, is the only one that can atone for our sin and he has done that. He did that when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. He had bore all the sin on his shoulders so that we become new. Julie gave us a, a really nice analogy the other day, a jar of marbles, that we are the marbles and Jesus is the jar. So when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus, who is the jar that holds us. So when we allow Jesus to come into our lives and live in us, then when God sees us, he's no longer going to see the sin that is in us, but he will see us through Jesus Christ. He will see his son and he will have compassion on us. We know that God is a, a, a forgiving God. David cried out to the Lord after he had sinned and the Lord forgave him. It was attributed to him as a man after God's heart. You can read about that on Acts 13, verse 32. So David says in Psalm 51, verse 7, Page me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. The bonds you have broken may rejoice. That the bonds you have broken may rejoice. And he says, hide your face from my sins and blot away my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, O Lord, the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach your, your transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you and deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh God, the God of my salvation, 
and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall flow with your, forth your praise. And do not desire, you, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I'll give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. This, oh God, you'll not despise. So David is sinned before God, but he recognizes his sin and he turns back and he comes to God in repentance. And by doing that, God forgives his sin and he, he, he goes on to do the will of God. So I want to, for, to encourage you this morning that our God is a God of forgiveness, but he is also a God that judges us if we do not turn away from our ways. He calls us to come and reason with him. He says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, he'll wash them as white as snow. That's from Isaiah 1 verse 18. And he also says in 1 John 1 9, that he's faithful and just to forgive our sins if we confess them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it shows that although we are a sinful generation, although we have sinned, but God has made that provision. He has made the provision through Christ Jesus. We come and we ask for forgiveness of sins and we are given a new list of life. God then becomes the one that lives in us. The Bible tells us greater is he who lives in us than he that is in the world. So let us receive his word. Let us allow our hearts to receive this word and let it flow from our heads into our hearts and live in our hearts and build us. Hebrews 3, 7 to 11 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, rebe in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart and have, they have not known my ways. I saw in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So today, I want to encourage you that when you hear the word of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Allow God to work in you. Allow the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and dwell with you. Let him take charge. The thing is, God does not force himself into your life. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I'll dwell with him. So when you hear that knock today, are you going to open that door?
Are you going to allow him to come into your life and dwell with you? Where do you stand today? If you were to die in the next 24 hours, do you know where you will be going? Have you got eternity sorted? If you miss heaven, you certainly will not miss hell. So if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not let this, this chance pass you by. If you have accepted Jesus Christ and you, are, you, you, you feel like you've drifted, you're no longer walking in step with him, this call is all for, for you. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking right now. And if you do let him come in, he will come in and he will dwell with you and he will cleanse of all the unrighteousness that is within you and he, you will walk in step with him. So if that is you, I would like to invite you to pray. So pray this prayer with me with all eyes closed. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died and rose again for my sin. I am sorry, Lord, for all the sins I've committed. And I ask you to forgive me. I now receive you as the Lord of my life. Come and dwell in me and transform me. Come and live in my life and be the Lord of my life. I give you permission, Lord. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So if you pray that prayer, we believe that you have been born again. We'd like you to get in touch you can either get in touch via the chat on the side if you are watching on, on Zoom, or if you are on YouTube and you are not part of uh, Freedom, uh, you can contact us on the website or you can contact your local church and get involved in the church. They will support you and they will help you to to grow in your walk with Jesus. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. May God bless you.